available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, I mimicked that pretty well. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. We might even do a little basketball. No, we're not. It's all nope, Pac-12 sorry. football. Sorry, that's not us. Um, we're going to stay true to who we are, what we do. As much as David loves the Pac-12 hoops, we are a Pac-12 football podcast. We'll continue to be so, no matter what the Pac-12 does in basketball. But anyway, we got to get to a lot of stuff. Today, I was in Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game. So I'll give you kind of a full report. We had boots on the ground there. There was the... Uh, the makeup game, the COVID makeup game. We'll talk about that. USC and Cal. Dozens of people were there to watch that one. Uh, we got the Pac-12 awards. We got some news with players. We got some coaching defections. We might have inter-conference coaching transfers. Who knows? There's lots of stuff. David, I'm excited. This is like a big one. This is big. It's a coaching carousel that uh, seems to know no end. And uh, we're just going to be watching as uh, um, some truly insane things happen. Insane. Insane in the membrane is what the kids say today, I think. I think yeah, that's- yeah, that's what they say today. <laughs> not not 25 years ago, but today. <laughs> right here, right now. Uh, well, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, we just did a show late last week, so we don't have as many questions this week, but you can... Email us, pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can call or text us at 424-532-0678. You can tweet us at pac12podcast or go to our website, pac12podcast.com, where all of our content would be up there. Um, and if you're over on Reddit, you want to chat with some other Pac-12 groovy fans, reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions. That's where we can be found. And then if you have the Apple Podcasting app, you got your iPhone, you got your uh, iPad, whatever you got. Use that app, follow us, follow the Podcast of Champions, the Pac-12 Podcast, and you can rate us with the five stars and say whatever you want about us, and then we are contractually obliged to read those said reviews on the air. We are. Do we, um, do we, we have any? We have one new one from last week when we didn't read any, but I'm not going to go back and try to figure out how many um, we missed. So we're just going to read this one. Okay, sounds good. This is from Westwood Bruins. Lincoln Riley is Chip Kelly. Five-star podcast because of a five-star host and some dude who is inside Troy. A huge L.A. school hired a brilliant offensive mind who's run one of the best offenses in college football history. UCLA hired Norm Chow. Record scratch? Wait, USC hired Lincoln Riley? Surely he'll fall in love with workshopping, running three tight ends, and pissing off local media. (laughs) That happens to other schools, right? USC hired the skinny Chip Kelly. Let's hope for the same results as UCLA because we're all for equity, right? If Lincoln Riley wins more than one game, I'll willingly take my punishment of wearing jockey everything. The only way to battle this tyrant is for UCLA to hire B-team podcast host Michael Hanna as head coach. All right. Um, It's a little different situation. I get it. There's some parallels. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I mean, Chip Kelly was good, but he was in the NFL for several mm-hmm, years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like Lincoln Riley's coming off like college football playoff runs, Big Twelve mm-hmm. runs, and Heisman Trophy winners within right. the last couple of years. Like players are still on the roster, so little, little different. But it could a little still, bit. It could still be a disaster. We don't know. We never know. And I mean, it is USC. So you've got to always take that into account. There's a lot of history of disaster. There's a lot of history of disaster. There's potential for the circus to come to town once again. Um, Mm. And so we're all going to be paying attention and having fun with it. We will. Uh, But thank you for the review. And a little jockey mention there. Yeah, we we might do some uh, gift cards again with the jockey stuff. That was a lot of fun. So uh, thanks for everyone who sent all the reviews uh, over the, the past few months we gave away a whole bunch hundreds and hundreds of dollars we gave away to the public we we helped the economy we we did like literally put money in the economy in the people's hands to ha- get them we more will underwear. call it we will call it the podcast of champion stimulus yeah. <laughs> i like it our stimulus package yeah through jockey uh we also want to put money in your hands with my bookie you could you could invest in stocks david you could double your money with my bookie that's a no-brainer if you have a hunch it can pay off if you use the promo code PAC12 at MyBookie. I guarantee you'll double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. Double your money right off the bat. Best part is MyBookie accepts everything from credit cards to well-known cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and all those other ones. You can bet and withdraw with crypto if you want to. There's a big UFC fight uh, this weekend, closing out 2021 with a bang. Uh, UFC 269. Uh, it's headlined by lightweight champ. Um, Charles Oliveira and Dustin Portier. Uh, this fight amounts to a coin flip, but both men have finish rates over 75%. You know it's not going to go down to scorecard. So don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to $1,000 using promo code PAC12. Go to my bookie today, place your bets, and watch the sparks fly with UFC 269. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. So thanks again to my bookie. Being our sponsor, continuing on through bowl season. If you want to you know, keep going. I've my my so the end of the regular season, David, and the championship game more than doubled my my bookie account. So I'm very mm-hmm. happy about mm-hmm. that. I was the one the USC game and the BYU one is the one that kind of screwed me. But otherwise, whenever I put a bigger bet, they all came through. So my record might not be good, but the winnings were good. So that's good. I'm glad you found a way to recontextualize your awful season. It was pretty awful. Yeah. Well, we're not done yet because there's a uh, um we still got the bowl season left, but. uh we only had two games. You got them both. I went one on one. I mean, yeah. There's two weeks al- ago, I picked always there comes this explanation. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I but I only picked you. that way because I had to pick opposite you. Uh. Exactly. Uh, but no, that's true. But yeah, you got two and zero. Oh. That's a good one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Finished um, finished five hundred on the season. You got to five hundred. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, oh, that's good. Well, not finished because we still got bowl season. Mm-hmm. So we got some games. Pack twelve games. Uh, we yeah, we probably got to talk about the bowls and stuff too. Um, I'll have to pull that up with the bowl things. But first, we got to uh, get to our game. Why don't we do – you want to do our game recaps? Should we get to news? You want to do the news first or the game recaps? We got to do news, baby. Okay, let's do um... – Because, look, all right, we were all gassing up the Lincoln-Riley hire last week. This is almost as big of a piece of news. Uh, it's huge. Mario Cristobal – um, messing around with Miami for potentially as many as a couple of weeks, it sounds like, now that the reports are starting to leak out. W- however it happened, um, leaving what had been the premier program in the league for the last three or four years at least to go to Miami um, from Oregon, that's a huge, huge move for the league. 
And here's the thing, depending on what Oregon does with this hire, I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing. It could be an improvement, right? Could certainly be an improvement on the field. I mean, if you just watched either of those uh, Utah games that we just got finished watching, um, with that amount of talent to perform that way in those environments against those teams, to lose to Stanford this year, to lose games every year that they have no business losing with the amount of talent they have, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of guys who will be an improvement in the coaching department. I don't know if there's a bunch of guys who will be an improvement in the recruiting department, but right now they need a coach who can actually yeah. coach up what is right now top 10 talent. True. So, like, if you bring in a decent recruiter, you can keep that going. Mm -hmm. If you bring in, like, a Chip Kelly, you can win for a few years, and then, you know, the talent will drop off significantly. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talent on this roster. It depends on who sticks around and all that, because whenever you have a coaching change, there's going to be – uh, significant potential, significant turnover. Um, but I agree, this might not be a bad thing. Now, the problem is like he was rolling talent wise as far as like bringing in the recruits and all that, and was doing almost unprecedented things the way he was getting Southern California talent. Obviously, that was going to be more challenging once when you have Lincoln Riley there. You have if you if USC or UCLA had a coach that wanted to recruit the local talent, that it was going to make it harder on Oregon. No, they didn't do that, so they they didn't make it as hard on Oregon as it could have been. Not that Oregon couldn't still be successful, but it was just going to be a more difficult road. Uh, but Mario Cristobal has proven that he can do that. And you know, I guess the hope's going to be you get someone else that can do the same thing or do something similar, but also know when to call a timeout or when to punt. Yeah, and I think that's a huge thing. And I think the recipe for success at Oregon isn't necessarily being like a, a top five talent acquisition place. I think you've got to have the coach, like the actual coach on the field part nailed. And I don't think they did that. And I think you're right. Even if Oregon drops down into top 15 talent, top 20 talent, they're not winning on talent alone. They need a coach. And the thing is, they're going to drop down to that level unless they do some really um, outlandish things nationally, simply because USC is going to recruit Southern California a lot better now. Um, so end result, uh, Oregon might drop off a little bit talent-wise, which means you need a better coach to even make up for that. Right now, they've had a coach who's been able to squander to an extent, uh, top 10 talent. I wouldn't say Mario Cristobal was a horrible coach, but he was, and this is the analogy I keep making, he was essentially Jim Mora, where you're going to mildly underachieve with your top 10 talent. You're not going to achieve at the level of that. You're going to mildly underachieve. Not hugely underachieve. Like, they're still making Rose Bowls and stuff. But with that level of talent, if you were an overachiever, you'd be making national championship games. Um, and so the thing with... Uh, with Oregon going forward, I think they have to make a, a decision. So do we want to go back to the kind of crystal ball route where we just get a like a dynamite recruiter and try to maintain as like a, you know, a talent factory? Um, or do we want to see if we can turn what we have in the program right now into a national title contender in the next year or two? Because um, I think it's all there. The pieces are there for them to be really good next year. Um, yeah. But I think getting a coach who's not going to reset the whole table, who's not going to be like, oh, I've got my own culture, I've got my own thing, I'm going to you know, start from square one, tear this whole thing down and start over. So my point is, Chip Kelly, baby. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, we can joke about Chip Kelly, and potentially not a joke, obviously, but when Chip Kelly was winning, and that kind of, that coaching tree was winning, they were, they were doing unique stuff schematically, right? Like they yeah. would... Oh, we're running tempo when the ball is on the hash closest to our side because they we truly, can substitute. Like they truly had chip. They truly had uh, Charlie Weiss's pronounced schematic advantage. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> that Weiss never had. Uh-huh. Um, but they did. And but then you were also, you know, you can get the occasional five star out of Southern California. You got guys from Texas. It wasn't just about we're gonna recruit the best. Like that's sort of what USC does and then backs off on the 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 you know performance. Right. Like Oregon should I mean you can recruit at a high level, but you wanna schematically be, you know, superior to other people a lot of times. I think that's where you're gonna have the edge. That's how you're gonna make national championship games like they did before. Um, not saying Helfrich was like the schematic genius or whatever, but um, that was, you know, the Chip Kelly yeah. tree. Well, and the thing with Helfrich was a huge part of it was the defense fell apart. Um, and right now they've reloaded defensively with the talent that they need to bring in a coach who's going to nail the offense, but also somebody who's going to bring with them a good defensive coordinator. So if you did like go the Chip Kelly route, he obviously can't bring Jerry as an arrow. Um, now I'm not like, so I'm being I'm going to I'm going to break break kayfabe for a second. I'm being a little facetious <laughs> about Chip Kelly. I think his best days are definitely behind him. But I also think he's a superior on-field coach to Mario Cristobal. I think he could walk in there next year and win 11 games. Like I think that could happen. Um it's a much better situation talent-wise than even what he walked into at UCLA and certainly what he has now at UCLA. Um I don't think and I think I think the powers that be at Oregon it's a much more um, cohesive administration than what Chip Kelly walked into at UCLA. I think there is a structure and an infrastructure in place that would allow um, for very little of the freelancing that Chip Kelly did when he arrived at UCLA. I don't think he would be allowed to cut as many players. I don't think he would be allowed to do a lot of the tearing things down to the studs that he was allowed to do at UCLA. Um and so, yeah, I don't know if it's got any real legs. I, I mean, I know there's a little bit of smoke here, but I don't know if it has any real legs or if it's just part of, like, you know, the typical contract uh, negotiations and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think it would be the worst thing for Oregon, and it would obviously be very good for UCLA to get out of that whole situation. Oh, come on. Eight and four? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to leap across these two the tables. Beat the absolute crap out of... A USC team that's coached by one of the top coaches in college football, and Chip Kelly puts 62 points on them. Dante Williams. Oh, no. Well, no. The Lincoln Riley's a coach now, but that's their, that's their team. Uh-huh. Uh, you can't get rid of that guy. Like, you've got to give him a big extension. Mm-hmm. Ten years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so turnabout fair play stuff is great. It's really great. <laughs> yeah, it's I, – I – um, I uh I, I want to leap across these two tables right now. Um but yeah, I mean it's it's um it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. Um cuz Chip Kelly's not going to get a big extension at UCLA. It's a question of, you know, whether he will accept a, a small extension that will potentially feel like an insult, I think. Yeah. I I can't see UCLA taking the temperature of the room, taking the temperature of the fan base and saying, "Okay, we need to lock this guy up for 5 years and 7 million dollars a year." Um so it's going to be a question of whether Oregon truly does want him, um, you know, whether it sounds like Phil Knight and uh, maybe some power brokers up there might want a return to the Kelly days, um, whether they win and whether they're willing to offer him a bunch of money and then whether he's willing to leave Southern California. Cause I don't think, I don't think UCLA is prepared to fire him, um, but they are, I think maybe prepared to let him walk. Yeah. Um, We'll see. Yeah, Phil Knight was really upset. They put that big extension in front of Mario Cristobal. That's all weird too. Um, the Manny Diaz stuff, where they just left him out to dry. This is, and I'm I'm happy to see there's just people kind of uh, condemning the early signing period because I don't think it gets this silly if the early signing period doesn't exist. Um, the problem is though, if you're in the second, like if you were 
Oregon and you were firing Mario Cristobal in like November, like it gave you a heads up, you know, and you had some time. Now you're trying to replace them with a week left in the early signing period. Like it makes things all that more, much more difficult. And it's harder to, it's like you're rewarded for being a jerk. You're being a dick early on and getting rid of your guy because that gives you a little bit of, of time. You know? They've got to get rid of this early signing period. Have to. They have to move it to summer. Or yes. they have to get rid of it entirely. Um, you can't keep doing this because first, like for our um, business, but I think also fan interest, it has really, really diminished interest in recruiting generally, I think. Um, like the buildup to National Signing Day in February always led to a ton of fan interest because it truly felt like part of the off season. Now it feels like, oh, wait, this other thing is going on in December? Like while we're like thinking about our bowl game or while we're thinking about the end of the season or whatever it is, it doesn't have the same buildup and lead up and interest and focus that it used to. Um, and I think you can you can fix it pretty easily by just making it July. Make the early signing period in July for like essentially quarterbacks to sign so they can get their stuff done so they're not continuing to get recruited and so they can also help recruit the class. But for everyone else, I mean, most guys are still wanting to go through the process. It's just it's become, I guess, the thing to get signed in December. Um, but, yeah, they, they need to do away with this because it's massively accelerating the timelines and uh, making college football even crazier. It, uh, it does. Um, and But uh, legitimately, I think it diminishes fan interest. Like, I don't think people are as interested in recruiting now as they were. No. I mean, because you're preparing for bowl games and yeah. there's coaching changes and all that. Like, you just... You put it right in the middle of... Well, somebody posted this on the board. Like, how would you make the offseason better and more interesting for college football the same way it is for, like, the NBA and all that kind of stuff? And I was like, well, the first thing would be to change the signing days. So one is in February still, and one is in July. Yeah. So you have two offseason periods to kind of build up to and gear up to that you can get excited about. And then the other one is to, like, change spring ball so that all programs are providing, like, a real level of access and maybe do, like, you know, depth chart tra tracking and that stuff. And it would still just be for diehards, but at least it would provide some interest and engagement. Yeah. Uh, real quick on the Chip Kelly stuff. 2018, six games under 500. Three and nine, you know, like, that's that's a rough one. He's going to get mad. Uh, then four and eight, four games. I'm taking my headphones off to get ready. Then, then the pandemic year, only one game under 500. So really close to breaking even. Eight and four. Four games over 500. Like, that is significant improvement. And you see year after year after year getting better and better and better. Why are the UCLA fans not embracing Chip Kelly more, David? Why are they not? <laughs> I'm going to blow my stack. Um, but honestly, they have gotten better. Like They, they have. They no, no, coach no, people it, it, better. It, like, yeah. There's a legitimate answer to it, which is, um, first, you have to take the whole look, which is it's 18 and 25. You have to also acknowledge that this was a culmination year. Like, this was... They're probably going to be like rebuilding to an extent next year. Now the schedule's bad enough that they can probably go eight and four again, but they're probably going to do it without their quarterback. They're probably going to do it without maybe their star running back. They're probably going to do it without you know three of their starting offensive linemen from this year. So there's reason to think they're going to take a step back next year. And is eight and four good enough? Like is that good enough for that to be your big year? Um, if you are uh, you know watching a Chip Kelly team, yeah. And I think for UCLA, it can't be. I mean, they've fired coaches for less. They fired Bob Toledo when he went eight and four. Um, you know, they they fired uh, Carl Durrell with a much better five year record than Chip Kelly has through four. They fired Rick Neuheisel with a slightly better four year record than Chip Kelly has through four. Um, it's not good enough. 
Yeah, yeah. The trend line might be slightly up, but I think it's going to dip back down again. Significantly up. If you start low enough, any trend line is going to look pretty good. Um, That's what's good for Lincoln Riley. He starts off at a four and eight team. Yeah. Well, that was the thing is you have to pay it off if you're going to do what Chip Kelly did when he arrived at UCLA, which was gut the roster. Um, That's what he did. I mean, the the oft quoted whatever 48 scholarship players or whatever he had his first year. That was because of things he did. It wasn't like, oh, God, UCLA wasn't recruiting before him. No, he gutted the roster. He cut like 30 dudes. So, yeah, he only had a few guys on scholarship because of things he did. Now, to pay that off, you actually had to have a good fourth year. Um, And I think this was barely above average given how bad the Pac-12 was. Gotcha. Um, So we'll see. Like Kalani Sataki's name has come up. I mean, we've heard the Dave Aranda's. Maybe well, the- and so this is the interesting one for me because the guy like Sataki, I think, would be really good in the long term at Oregon. I don't know if he wins immediately though, because I think he's one of those culture guys. Like he's going to want to build yeah. his own culture, do <clears throat> his own thing, um, and be given time to build the thing. I think there's immediate expectations to win huge at Oregon, and you've got to have a guy who's like comfortable with that. Yeah, is that Chip Kelly? I don't know, but I think that's the idea. Is you've got to have somebody who's willing to take the keys and just turn them in the ignition, not try to rebuild the car. Yeah. I mean, and I think the problem too, is like, we've heard Matt Campbell's name come up a lot. We've heard Dave Aranda's name come up a lot. And it's sort of like there's the immune system gets a chance to build up. You know, there's like, they're like, Oh, we've already like been at, like there's more extensions put out there. Apparently Aranda has been looking at one. Um, The fact that they've been shot at, you know, like attacked for weeks already, Oregon comes into the game late and like, oh, those look like good candidates, and they've already like built up their defenses, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think it would have to be a really, really good fit for those guys. And again, I don't know if or- I don't know if Oregon is like a I don't know if Oregon would necessarily want to do what those guys want to do, which is probably build their own program. Now, Dave Aranda, he's he's won more or less immediately at Baylor. Like he had a bad first year, the COVID year. Who cares? But he's gone eleven and two. He went two and seven, then eleven and two. That's more or less winning immediately. Um. Would he be really good there? I don't know. He's a defensive guy. They seem to have had a history of more kind of offensive-minded head coaches. Yeah. Um, that seems to be what kind of works there. But sure. Um, but I don't know if Matt Campbell's the guy. Matt Campbell might be more of the program-building type, which you've got a program. Like, you've got talent in the program. You don't need to rebuild. You don't need to change the culture. The culture there is good. I mean, they've won a lot of games. You need somebody who's just going to take them over the top. Yeah, and I don't know if, like... Luke Fickle might have just played himself out of it. You know, he makes the playoff as with a group of five team. They're going into the Big 12. It seems like he's going to stick around another year, but, you know, there were some big jobs open, and it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of interest from him in any of those other ones. I don't know if Oregon could do it, um, but, Look, you know. Look, I know Joe Moore had totally screwed up at uh, um, Mississippi State, and I think he was just hired by Akron, but maybe you – tell him hey you want to stick around and try to do this thing um and see if he works for a couple of years um and if he doesn't then you hire somebody new again yeah they so we thought so uh, we'll talk about the bowls in a little bit but playing in the um holiday ball against oklahoma with bob stoops as interim head coach and i know there was talk about mike Bellotti, baby mike Bellotti bringing him back i think they named the receivers coach yeah. like the interim head coach but that would have been awesome and you know for Bellotti and stuff to do that but a lot of stuff going on with the oregon football program um phil knight's 83 or something like that and uh, i've read some stuff on like he wants to see a winner you know before he does so i you know i kind of expect a big splash like we saw notre dame i mean lsu make that big splash with like out of the blue 
could Oregon do something like that where they're like, oh my God, how did they get that guy? Like where that's not someone even on your radar. Who would be the out of the box? Oh my God, how did they get that guy? Guy though. I mean, if yeah, like Fickle, like you don't expect him to be going anywhere now. Like if you could get him, but like you probably couldn't get him until after the playoffs. Like, so the one for me would be Chris Peterson. Okay, well, he doesn't work right now. And he's right. But that's the one where, like, I think he would be if he was actually interested in, you know, being a college football head coach again. Uh, I think he would be the top name on the market right now. Uh, yeah, for if someone coming out of like retirement. But I mean, like, if they go, oh, we're going to hire Dabo Sweeney or something like that. Oh, yeah, they're not doing that. You don't think they'll do some like big splashy? Dabo has no interest in going to Oregon from Clemson. Yeah, probably not. But like, that's I don't know who else you get. Like, who's a top program? Like, did you expect Brian Kelly? There's been talk about him leaving and stuff. Maybe didn't think it would go to like at LSU, um, but yeah, there's just not like the kind of names out there. Nick Saban, baby. I mean, that like obviously that's the. What about so? Um, Oregon is the one school in the Pac-12 that I could actually see doing this. Are you gonna go? Okay, Lane Kiffin, like Ur- Urban, Urban. Okay, go steal him from Jackson. All right, so Urban would be freaking huge. Yeah, I mean that would be that would be enormous. Um, I mean, like Elaine Kiffin is a hot, hot name right now, mm-hmm. you know, but nothing like Urban. Like Urban, that's true. That would be the sick one. That would be the that would be the the truly awesome. And one. because it's like later in the process, if they're like, okay, we're not gonna, we're not trying to get a coach before the early signing period, we have time. So if you're trying to get before the early signing period, the NFL stuff makes really um, Matt Rule. You know, if, if things aren't going so well there at Carolina, like there's some. If they wait, they could get some. Those would be wow high, big wow hires, you know. Um, Jacksonville's two and ten right now. I know. I'm surprised they won two games, but yep. Well, the Ducks. Hold on, we should uh, play there. Oregon Ducks. This was an Oregon, Oregon Ducks podcast so far, but yes, big, 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 big news uh, with the Ducks. We'll see if the carousel keeps turning here in the Pac-12. Uh, let's go over the Pac-12 awards that just came out. Um, so good timing from us or lucky timing from us that we get to record the podcast right after the awards, uh, come out real quickly for first and second team, all PAC 12 selections. Do you know who has the most? Would you guess who has the most? Utah. Utah does. You know, who has the second most USC? No. Oregon? No. UCLA? Chip Kelly, second most first and second team. All like, that's why you got to sign them up. For a long stretch, I, I, 10, 10 for Utah, nine for UCLA. Right up there. I mean, they're this close to winning the Pac-12. Like that—that that shows you one player away from winning the Pac-12. I can't keep threatening <laughs> you because then somebody <laughs> will report me. Uh, Oregon had seven first and second team selections. Arizona State had six. Washington had five. I mean, they were bad. Oregon State, USC, and Wazoo each had four. Arizona had three, Stanford with two, and Cal and Colorado each only had one. Cal probably did the most with the least. Yeah. I guess they were five and seven, but uh, I mean Washington, man, being that as bad as they were, like Stanford was was butt, but you know they only had two selections, so I guess they you know they probably performed about where you thought they would. Um, so the big ones, the offensive player of the year. Let's see what you think about this, Drake London, baby. Drake London. So he still led the league in yardage and, and receptions. receptions. Uh, I, I think it's fine. Now, the thing is, I think the other arguments all were nuanced ones. I think Tavion Thomas had an arg. I think uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson had an argument. 
Um, there were a variety of guys. Jaden Delora had an argument. Yeah. But I think Drake London, with what he did in just his eight games, I'm fine with it. Yeah, it was sort of like no one really blew you away offensively. I mean, like you look. I mean, like Cam Rising, kind of the same situation. Only played. You if know. Drake London's available, USC probably wins two more games. Yeah. Um, he's still. I mean, if you if you like, who was awesome in this conference this year offensively? You'd say him. Yeah, him. And it was <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't have an issue with it either. It's the fact that he still led the the league. And if we had some quarterback that was just, you know, crushing it or whatever, and you wanted a, a running back or something. No, there was a lot of pretty good. I don't think there was great. Yeah. Uh, he was great for, you know, just quickly it, it burned out a little, you know, seven and a half games. The uh defensive player of the year, uh Devin Lloyd for the Utes. Fine. Pick six in the the game I saw. Yeah, totally fine. Would you be fine? I'd have put my Heisman ballot in. Would you be okay? Like, who on the West Coast would you have put? If you had, I have to put a West Coast guy on the ballot, who would you have put on? <sighs> it could be either two guys we named. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Did right? you go Drake London? No. Did you go Tavian Thomas? I went defense. You went Devin Lloyd? I'm not saying. I'm not allowed to say. Oh, geez. Uh, I he, love it. That, that's fine. No, that's fine. So, all the Ute fans out there, um, your boy. Could potentially have a third place Heisman vote. Um, <laughs> because I do like to include the West Coast. It's been harder the last couple of years. Yeah. It's not been as easy. Um, but he's he's been an absolute stud. Uh, I think he was second in the nation in uh, tackles for loss. And uh, So I think the easier one to have gotten onto the stage would have been Thomas because he had over 1,000 yards and he also had 20 touchdowns. That that is big. The touchdown number is always like, oh, even though they're kind of situational, it's still like, oh, okay. Like you can maybe talk enough people into that that you might get him like, you know, into like fifth place or sixth place. Yeah, I didn't think anyone was going to be in any place. No, 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 no. No. Um, you know, Bryce Young was just ridiculous. Dude, uh, so I again, I I barely watch any football besides the Pac-12. Yeah. Watching that Alabama Georgia game, Bryce Young a freak yeah. like it is freaky watching him fo play football um and yeah i think it's totally normal that um he left uh southern california to go to alabama despite growing up a ucla <laughs> fan like literally with ucla parents and ucla here's how late ucla was on bryce young uh they offered him in january 2019 he had already committed to usc the previous summer after having been offered the summer before that <laughs> Alabama was earlier on on Bryce Young than UCLA was. Crazy. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, he's got his process, though. You got to uh -huh. trust the process. Uh -huh. uh, the freshman offensive player of the year was uh, Washington State's Jaden Delora. Um, so congrats to him. I think he led the league in touchdown passes. If I'm. Yeah, he was really good, especially down the stretch. I don't remember. I didn't check the last week or so, but he did. He was at one point. Uh, freshman defensive player of the year. You can also go to the Utes, uh, Junior Tafuna. Um, so congrats. And the coach of the year, also Utah, Kyle Whittingham. Mm -hmm. um, I know Yogi Roth was really petitioning for him to be the, the national coach of the year. He's got the potential to do that. I think I think our, our boy Jimmy Harbaugh is going to be getting that one. He might get that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a one and two start and going to the Rose Bowl. Pretty cool. USC members started one and three and went to the Rose Bowl. Yep. Uh, not easy to do, so um, you know. 
Uh, and I would say Utah is like the legitimate the the team in the league that right now, like if you could just pick the teams that are hottest in college football, like I think they would have a playoff argument right now. I I hundred percent like um, that's one of those teams that if there was a playoff, you wouldn't want to you're like no like oh crap, I don't want to play them. Yeah, like no. a Utah Michigan game would be a lot of I won't say fun to watch. Um, it would be a brutal knife fight, but it would be yeah, I would enjoy it. Yeah, um, but congrats, uh, the Utes taking uh, the most awards, the most major awards, Coach of the Year, lots of stuff going on there. Um, one of the things there was, uh, I think it was Wilner had a, a call with uh, Merton Hanks about the officiating, and he said, uh, we have work to do, but this is not the same unit it was a few years ago. Um, so he, this is his second season as the Senior Associate Commissioner of Football. He said, we are not the same. Uh, we challenged the officials. We put a few on notice that they had to improve or they would need to move on. They answered the call. And I was in the the uh, press uh, conference with George Klyovkov, the commissioner. And he said, you know, that they have that. There's a protocol for like if there's a egregious call, they'll put out some kind of statement. And he said they didn't need to put any statements this year because nothing met the criteria. I know some of the fans weren't so happy. One of the reporters was giving like real specific stuff. So. I, it's funny, George Klyovkov came in and was sort of like, oh, and I'm not sure that there's an officiating problem. Now it seems like he's more of like, I'm going to be defending the officiating problem, if that if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it was fine. Um, I, I would say, like, on balance, the officiating was slightly better this year. I would say, I, so. I would say there were a couple of crews that I noticed. Um, there was one with, like, the bald guy. Um, I, I, what's his name? The, the, the like... Um, the white bald guy, you know. Yeah, him? I know what you're talking about. Him his, and Mothershed. His, Mothershed's bad. Mothershed's bad. No, I was saying the bald guy is actually good. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, his yeah. crew doesn't call a lot of penalties. Is basically my my um my criteria for being good. Right. Um, there were only a couple that were still pretty bad. Um, Mothershed's awful, awful, <laughs> awful. They need to get rid of him. Um, but like there were noticeable differences between some of the crews this year, whereas in the past I would say they were all like pretty much interchangeably horrible. Yeah, if you know the guy's name, it's not good. No, that's not good. Yeah, like, if you know who's the that left guard for Oregon State, like if you know his name, it's like oh, because he gets all those holding yeah. calls. You yeah. know? <laughs> it's not because well, he's an All American. Like it might be. Like it might, okay, he's like one of the greatest of all times. Like this is the greatest guard I've ever seen. Maybe mostly it's because oh, he had three holding calls in that game. Right. It was below average. Um, yeah. So all right. So that was a little. Uh, um, stuff there. Do you want to go over, or should we, maybe we can go over the 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 games, and we'll go to the bowl games and stuff. Sounds great. Okay, so let's. Uh, we'll probably start with the the most important game we had: USC Trojans <laughs> on the road, take it on California Golden Bears. I mean, as we said in the preview for this game, this did determine division supremacy in the Pac-12. The North wins. The North wins. Uh, this was the battle of the fourth, fourth place teams and, uh, Cal won, uh, beating USC 24, 14 in a extremely sleepy and bad game. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Four point, um, spread Cal's mm-hmm. favored by four USC started off as a slight favorite. Um, I was in Vegas. I'm not going to confirm or deny that I put money down on the, the California golden bears, but it was good. I was happy. Uh, about midnight on Saturday, I, I had a good good uh, run down to the <laughs> sports book. Um, yeah, so uh, but this was closer than I thought. 
USC actually played harder. They'd had, I think they had 47 scholarship players make the trip. Guys like Chris Steele, Drake Jackson, like big name defensive players didn't even go. Hunter Eccles. Um, so they had a lot of people that weren't there. They were starting like, they had one corner, I think, available. So they started like Kalen Bullock, who's been a stud, like a freshman safety. He was starting a quarter. They did a bunch of stuff like that. And they still played pretty hard. And like they ran the ball pretty well. And it's like, I was worried that they were not going to cover, but they turned the ball. They were still made like the USC mistakes, but they played a lot harder than I thought. And Cal was like, Cal was playing well, had the COVID thing, came back, started playing well, and then just get boat raced by UCLA. So I wasn't sure how Cal was going to bounce back. They they bounced back and played okay. Chase Garber was all right, but um, Chase Garber's threw three total incomplete passes in this game. Yeah, but it just wasn't like the big plays. They weren't making the big ones. You yeah. Know? Um, they they could they scored could have scored more points than that, but there was just it just it was a little sloppy. The, the their student section I thought Cal student section showed up, but there wasn't a lot it, of other it, people there. It felt like a terrible bowl game, like that's what it felt like. It yeah. felt like the Foster Farms Bowl, like it felt like something nobody wants to be there, and they're just kind of going through the motions. Um, and yeah, like there was some guys playing hard, but also there were like walk ons playing. Like it's just true you know, trash. Uh, Jackson Dart took a huge hit. That was, yeah, he got his bell rung. Yeah, I think it's still ringing. How's he doing? So he said he could go back in, and when we talked to Dante Williams afterwards, he was like, you know, he just wasn't cleared medically. So they bring in Miller Moss, another true freshman. He threw a pick. He almost, uh, his first pass, it was in the red zone already, dumps it off to a guy, I forget who it was, and he, he gets down to like the three. They still don't, they don't score the drive, but he gets it down there. And uh, it could have been his, his first career college pass would have been a touchdown. And that was like Matt Leinart did that. Like back, in, I tweeted about that. But he did end up throwing a touchdown later to Katie Nixon, who hadn't done anything for USC all right. season. He catches the last touchdown of the weird uh, COVID season. But um, yeah, I, Jackson Dart definitely got his bell rung on that one. That was, it was a bad decision. Like he was trying to run and put his head down. Don't do that. Don't, no. Yeah. Mm, he's just not been as mobile since he. Uh, had that knee surgery earlier in the year in the Washington State game, but yeah, so. but like you know, Cal. It unfortunately, it would have been cool if one of these teams could have made a ball, but it was you know, four and seven versus four and seven. But you know, five and seven. We thought Justin Wilcox might go somewhere. Doesn't seem like it, right? I mean, there's people talking about him for Oregon too. I guess so. Yeah, his name has come up. The same people who are talking about him for Washington, which also didn't seem like it was happening. So, but after what Cal finishes starts. One in five, like pretty good five and seven finish. Yeah, legitimately, if COVID hadn't uh, crushed them, they would have been six and that, six. Yeah, they would have made a bowl game without the yeah. the weird Arizona game, their only win of the season. USC just was like limping towards the finish, just needed to get this season over with. Yep. Um, but yeah, we both had that one right. We both had Cal. Uh, and then in Las Vegas, we had Oregon Ducks. <laughs> It was technically a home game for Utah Utes. Yeah, so this one was, I, I would say it was a carbon copy of the game two weeks ago, but honestly, I thought Utah was even more dominant in this one. The final score was not like exactly the same. It was 38-10 instead of 38-7, but um, I thought they were better in this one than they were two weeks ago. And Oregon, it was... You were you were at the stadium, so you weren't hearing it. But like the way oh, the we could hear it, it was uh, the yeah. way the announcers were talking about Oregon the whole time. Like oh, they didn't that. show up. They did not show up. This team looks like they've like just packed it in for the season. This is 
they were really going hard on Oregon and their coaching staff and the preparation to come into this game and look like this. It's um, almost like the head coach might have been looking to somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, no, that's the thing is like when you look I don't at this, speculate when you look at this, no, but that. like when you look at this now in the light of reports that Miami was talking to him up to two weeks ago, maybe this makes a little bit more sense. But um, Utah was dominant in this game. Um, offensively, like they ran the ball all over him. Um, Tavion Thomas was really good. Cam Rising had some nice plays on the ground. Micah Bernard was good late. Um, but defensively, they really shut down Oregon. They made it really hard on Anthony Brown. He once again threw two bad picks, um, and they couldn't run the ball at all. Um, it was one of the, uh, you know, one of the best performances from what has turned out to be a really good Utah team, um, and a really good Utah season. Um, but they were excellent. And it was once again, just a laugher at halftime. It was 23, uh, zero, I think at halftime. Um, and it could have been worse. I think it's 24. Like, but it was it was like fourteen nothing, which seemed about right, like late in the second quarter. Yeah, Utah scores a touchdown. I forget the, the circumstances behind it. And then Oregon has the ball with like less than a minute left. Do you remember what happened in two weeks ago or whatever? You yeah, know, and Anthony the Brown punt return. Yeah, Anthony Brown run into the sideline, decides to throw it back across his body as if he's throwing it away, but instead he throws it directly to a Utah defender. He was jumping out of bounds, like he was out of bounds, but his toe didn't touch the ground yet, and then gets rid of the ball. If you're like picking a ball up a third base, and try, it's like you're trying to throw it across the diamond to first base, but there's the opponents aren't over there waiting to catch the ball. Like That was the weirdest thing, and then Utah scores again right before halftime when it should have been probably 14 nothing at half two games in a row it ends up being 28 you know two weeks ago and then 24 i think it was 24 nothing in this one yeah yeah it was uh just mistakes tons of mistakes for Oregon um not many for you i mean Cam Rising did throw two interceptions in this game it's not like he was perfect um one of them was like a ridiculous thing where the ball like got tipped up in the air and um and uh the Oregon defender played center field and it made was the diving weird. catch yeah. um flying up there like what is going on but he i mean on balance, he made much better decisions than uh, Anthony Brown did. But this was, I mean, it was, again, a complete no-show from Oregon. I think we determined truly who was the best team in the Pac-12 this year, and it was not the team with all the four stars and five stars. It was the team, um, you know, that developed from the beginning of the year to the end. And, again, if you're Utah, maybe you think about, well, what what would have been if we had started Cam Rising from the beginning of the year and hadn't tried the Charlie Brewer era. But, you know, you can't change that. Right now, Utah's going to its first Rose Bowl, and that's pretty cool. The um, yeah, I think Oregon missed a couple of field goals. That after that bad interception, Utah kicks a fi- I think it was fifty yards or something. It was like a really long field goal. Um, everything Utah did just seemed to be like, oh, they prepared for that. They were ready for this, and Oregon just seemed like they were hoping good things happened. Like it was, yeah. it was, it was just weird. Um, in general, so this is the first time to Allegiant Stadium. Obviously, the first time the Pac-12 has had this in Vegas. Um, it's not easy to get in there. Like, uh, I think I had media parking. I didn't even bother. I just like, I was at the MGM and I, I took an Uber over. You get pretty close. I was there early, uh, but getting out of there, I just walked, I walked across, you know, right. across the bridge, the strip, and then go to MGM. There's not like a ton of parking, I think around there, but you know, so just, if you're going to go in the future, just prepare. Cause it's not, you know, I wouldn't say the easiest thing we had like pick up our credentials and like walk all the way around the stadium. You can't like walk around. It was like. It was like you had to go way wide around stuff. And we probably just went the wrong way. But we, a big group of media trying to figure out where we were going. 
Um, but I got in there in time. Um, press box is nice. You're really high up there. Uh, I took a picture or two coming in, and I think there was a big group of Oregon fans I just happened to get outside the stadium. And everyone, I think people assumed there was a lot more Oregon people there. But once you got in, it was obvious. It was pretty red. And I the, the cross for me, it was red. And then you look down below, and even below where we were, uh, it was red. A lot of Utah people, it did feel like a home game. I don't know if that came across on TV. No, it definitely did that it was a Utah home yeah, crowd, basically. Like, Cheering, you know, like screaming when Oregon has the ball, false, uh, forcing false starts, things like that. Um, Klyovkov had a, a press, you know, a meeting with the press. And um, I thought he was good. Uh, he's, you know, sort of asked about like the the new coaches and, you know, the Lincoln Riley stuff. He kept it general at first. Like we've, we've all got, you know, the three new coaches. I think they're all going to make an impact. And now we have 12 great coaches, you know. Uh, so it's sort of like, okay, so the three that you didn't have before, like you had nine great coaches before and now you have 12. Like it, that seemed a little, like, maybe not, you know, like, okay, UCLA, obviously great coach. But like, is Carl Durrell a great coach? I don't know. Like I'm not. You know. No, I think you would have been better served to just say we've upgraded at two different areas. We've upgraded at Washington. Kalen DeBoer is a much better <laughs> head coach than Jimmy Lake was. And Lincoln Riley's a much better head coach than Clay Helton was. Uh but but then he got into some of the specifics of what like a Lincoln Riley can do. And like you you mentioned Bryce Young. Like if the Pac twelve, if it's USC or Oregon or UCLA, whoever, if they keep Bryce Young, like that probably helps other people. Like CJ Stroud, like you know, maybe he stayed like I think it, he he said the same thing I've been saying is like if you if USC recruits at a high level it's helping it's good for USC but it's also helping the whole conference. Yeah, here's the thing like quarterback talent um, a lot of it does come out of Southern California. It's still true. Like you're going to still see guys playing quarterback who are from Southern California at other areas. Like that's always going to be true. Bryce Young doesn't leave Southern California if Lincoln Riley is at USC or if UCLA recruits him. Yeah, like he doesn't. Um, he left USC because like who, who would have, right, right. Who was sticking with USC at that point? It's pretty good decision on his part. Now I don't know CJ Stroud's circumstances. Maybe it was different. He was late. I think he was later, like recruited later and stuff. Yeah. But um, even that one, if you've got Lincoln Riley at USC or if UCLA is an actual Southern California recruiting power, which it hasn't been now in some time, maybe that one goes differently. Like there's just there's some obvious stuff. There's all these Arizona guys who are leaving the region who previous, you know, cycles, Arizona guys would just go to LA. Like when you wanna, you know, you wanna get away from home, okay, we'll just go to LA and yeah. you know, dominate the Pac twelve from there. Those guys leaving the region. Like, like, I'll go to Texas and then all of I'll these go, things yeah. are affected by, you know, USC or UCLA even being a, a a a real recruiting power in the region, not just trying to do whatever weird thing Chip Kelly's trying to do. Um I, again, I don't know if that affects the other teams in the league that much, but it still would be nice to watch Bryce Young playing games in the West rather than playing games for Alabama. I mean, pretty much every Pac-12 school could use an upgrade in quarterback. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like every yeah, single exactly. one of them. Well, and if if Bryce Young's at USC, does Jackson Dart go there or does he go to Utah or right, wherever no, the hell he wants is going to go? Yeah. Um, so it, it does have knock-on effects, especially if USC is having to drop down to – you know, the typical like four-ish star um, West Coast quarterbacks that otherwise would go to ASU or Utah or UCLA or Oregon or yeah. whatever it is. Uh, I was impressed, though, that like, so when that was happening, 
that was uh, Riley's first week. Like they got like three five star commitments in three days or whatever. Like Klavkov mentioned it like on his own. Like we've already seen an upturn in recruiting. Like, could you imagine Larry Scott like knowing anything about something like that? Like if so, if like a memo came across his desk, like oh, one of the Pac-12 schools just got like three five star guys. Like he could. There's no way he would even acknowledge that. Or no, that. definitely not. But I think uh, Klyavkov has it right. He's invested in the success of his top-tier programs. I think he's going to also be very invested in what Oregon does right here. Um, oh, yeah. Because Oregon has been, you know, if you go since even 2000, they've been number two to USC, um, I think, since the turn of the millennium. Yeah. Um, and so if uh, I think he's going to be hugely invested in what they do going forward, and I think he was hugely invested in Lincoln Riley getting hired at USC. He talked about just like, it's everyone's like it shows that you need to invest and it you know it's not up to him he's saying it's up to the individual school so he's going to expect a, a program like Oregon to really invest into it so I, I like the way he was kind of engaged um let's see oh the uh press box food meh it, I thought they would like have some like you go to Stanford games like they have like awesome press box food nowhere near like it was a hamburger bar um they had a good like apple cobbler uh, you know, sodas. It was only for like the two hours before the game. Once the game started, they cleared the food out, and then there was like popcorn later. Hmm. Um, wasn't like cookies. Like I was like, oh, I thought like, this is Vegas. I thought we'd have like some kind of spread. So interesting. Yeah, it wasn't like amazing. You gotta send a, your boy George a memo about. I'm gonna, that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask him about. It. We we still got to get him on the show. He said they said he would come on. So we'll okay. we'll, do it. we'll we'll uh, get a postseason George. We'll have postseason George. Yeah, like so, you know, kind of uh, recapping everything that was going on. Um, and one other last thing. Oh, the atmosphere in general, like, like you talk about the Cal USC game, like it felt like a bad bowl game. This felt like if you've ever been to, uh, Levi's, like, I don't care who was playing in it. It was awful. Like this, the, yeah. the atmosphere was terrible. This was now, maybe it was just cause Utah traveled so well, or you know, Oregon fans were into it when, you know, they were doing well. It wasn't very much, but the atmosphere just felt like this is, it felt like the Pac-12 was big time for a minute. Like it just. It was good. Like, this was the right choice. Go to Vegas. Like, don't do Santa Clara. No. Vegas was so much better. And we'll see if it continues that way. But it was great. Like, I love the atmosphere there. Yeah, it looked awesome on TV. You could hear it on TV. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, just keep it there forever. Nice. Okay. Uh, and then I think that's it for our... Was there anything else? Oh, no, bowl games, bowl games. We got to talk about those. Okay. Um, okay, so let's go through the bowl schedule. We have first on uh, – you want me to – do you have the bowl schedule up? Do you want me I've to got it. I've got okay, it. Okay, so the first uh, bowl team for the Pac-12 will be – Oregon State Beavers. Taken on Utah State. They're Aggies. They're Aggies. So is that like just like an agricultural worker? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, sure. We don't have any Aggies. There's no truck stops, right? According to uh, our yeah. friends at the No Truck Stops podcast. Uh, Utah you have to have truck stops for Ag Aggies. have to be a truck stop, I yeah. would think. Uh, U Utah State uh, taking on Oregon State in L.A. at the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. This one's uh, Saturday, December 18th. First one on the schedule by a long shot at 4.30 on ABC. Oregon State has opened as a seven-point favorite. We'll do our picks going forward, but um, good for awesome for uh, Jonathan Smith to make a bowl game. Uh, that program is trending upward. 
Um, I think everyone, when they know, you know, Oregon State's on the schedule now, they're expecting the best coach team in the in the conference. This is a tough one, and we'll yeah we'll do our previews. But like, if you remember, or uh, Utah State, you were talking some mad shit about Utah State in the preseason. They were awful last year, uh-huh. and everyone predict, but they brought it. Apparently, they brought in like forty transfers and got a lot better. And they beat that Washington State ass to start the season. They beat it. Yeah, it was twenty six twenty three or something like that. Yeah. Um, and but they go ten and three. They put up a bunch of points on a really good San Diego State defense uh, here in like right down the street in Carson, California for the Mountain West Championship game. So Utah State completely turned things around. This is not an easy draw. No, uh, I think this will be a good game. Yeah, this is not an easy draw for the for the Beavs. But congrats to the Oregon State, Jonathan Smith getting. Uh, I haven't heard his name too much either, but maybe no. another year or so if he does another bowl season, like his name might might come up more. Okay. Next uh, bowl team, UCLA Bruins. Yep, they're going to take on the NC State Wolfpack. <laughs> uh, this is at this is Tuesday, December twenty eighth at five p.m. on Big Fox in San Diego for the Holiday Bowl. Uh, NC State is a one point favorite right now. Um, yeah, so the Wolfpack they. We're very close to having a truly elite season. Um, they lost by a point at Miami, and they lost by three points at Wake Forest. Um, they lost by 14 at Mississippi State, but they were very, very close to 11-1. and one. Um, Again, it was the ACC, so who cares? Um, because the ACC is trash. Um, but these seem like probably relatively evenly matched teams, yeah. so this makes sense. Um, it's UCLA making a bowl game for the first time in... I think it's literally Huge since 2017. Huge improvement. Yeah, thank you. Eight uh, and four. First time uh, in the Chip Kelly era. Coming off the COVID year, like it, it could have been better. I'm going to fight you. I, I really am. Um, it'll be no matter what, whether they win or lose, it'll be the best record since uh, 2015, the Josh Rosen first year. Um, so. Extension, baby. <laughs> UCLA's literally had losing seasons every season since then. That's crazy. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. USC hasn't won a bowl game since they won that Rose Bowl against Penn State 20, 2016 season. That was a great game, though. That was a great game. It's pretty funny. As USC is as bad as you've ever seen, and they still win Rose Bowls every once in a while. Like, that's, <laughs> like, that's, like what? And they were, like, really good that year, too. Like, by the end of the year, they were really, right. really good. Like, Utah beat them early. I think Stanford and, like, Alabama oh, absolutely so destroyed stupid. them. So stupid. NC State, though, I mean, they're ranked 18th, nine and three, but you know they're beatable. Yeah. Uh, but that'll be that'll be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be favoring that one. We'll see. Oh, do you have the the line in uh, UCLA North? Yeah, uh, it was NC State by one. And so, okay, so let's slight fair. Okay. Uh, next up, let's see. Uh, this is going to be a really, really, really interesting one. Oregon Ducks. <laughs> Uh, Oregon taking on the Oklahoma Sooners. So again, just like some people settling a territory, like just like that's me shoveling. Um, like I don't know what does a Sooner do? They I, arrive I early and steal stuff. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Wednesday those covered wagons. <laughs> yes, Wednesday, December 29th, It's the Alamo Bowl uh, at six fifteen on ESPN. Number fourteen, Oregon versus number sixteen, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, it's going to be a weird game, you know, both teams without their coaches. Bob Stoops will be coaching for Oklahoma. Some wide receivers coach will be coaching for Oregon. Um, 
no idea what to make of this one. Which team will be motivated? Will either of them be motivated? I think Oklahoma probably has a better chance of being it because I could see Bob Stoops really getting into them and getting them excited for the game. Um, but it's going to be a weird one. Kayvon Thibodeau is out. Yeah. He uh, decided to say, peace out. I'm not going to play the bowl game. Uh, we don't know their status of the Oklahoma staff. Like, there's still some Lincoln Riley poaching going on. This there's- will also be an Oklahoma home game who big time i mean they showed up big for uh when they've hired brent venables like at the airport at three in the morning yeah. or whatever like they showed up for that there was more people of that than the usc cal game i think yeah um but who knows if you get chip kelly hired in time maybe he's able to coach this game for you <laughs> uh but yes i the fact that bob stoops will i mean he loves that program and he came back he was working. He did work the Big Ten championship game, though. So I was like, "Oh, I thought he'd be out recruiting or something." He still did his media duties, uh, but he'll be into this one. So I think the Oklahoma team is going to be motivated. It's just going to depend on will Oregon be motivated. And totally. sometimes the day after, like the game after, you lose your coach. There's some motivation. So we'll see. Yep. Uh, this will be an interesting one too. We got Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> Yeah, so ASU will be taking on Wisconsin. That's a badger, 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 badger. Um, <laughs> it's a little old school internet reference I like for everyone. Uh, I think I did that the last time Arizona State played Wisconsin. Uh, this is Thursday, December 30th, at uh, 7.30 on ESPN. It's the Vegas Bowl. Uh, Wisconsin traveling to Las Vegas to take on ASU. This will be a Wisconsin home game uh, because they will want to be in Vegas uh, during the winter months. Yes. So it gets cold there. Yes. Wisconsin's a seven point favorite. Not sure that's enough. Um, I think uh, (laughs) Wisconsin's uh, probably a far better team. Now, do you remember the way this one ended the last two times, the last time these two teams played? No. It was some real weird clock stuff at the end of the game um, where Wisconsin, like the quarterback, was trying to clock the ball, but instead he just put it on the ground. And then ASU kind of jumped on it and sat on it for a little bit. And there were like 15 seconds left in the game, and the refs didn't stop it at all. They didn't stop it the just clock. Like ended, and it just ended with like the quarterback for Wisconsin like losing his mind on the field. Um, so this will be cool. Um, Wisconsin, I think, is actually like pretty decent. They finished the year going seven and one in their last eight games. Yeah, uh, they start off bad. Yeah, ASU did not finish the season that way. No, uh, they did get to play Arizona though. They did get to play Arizona, but um, this was this was not a, a a exciting march to the finish for ASU. So uh, I think Wisconsin will win. I just don't know about how much. We'll get into those uh, a little bit going forward. Sun Devil fans, um, I highly recommend making the trip. Go check, check out Allegiant check out Stadium, the, baby. I do. I want to cover the uh, Oregon State game since it's local, and I've not been to SoFi yet. Just, yeah. Just why not use our media stuff to like go to stadiums you haven't been to. There you go. And uh, yeah, and uh, New Year's in Vegas. Can't beat it. A lot of fun. I could do New Year's in Vegas. All right, we got two more. Uh, Next up, we've got Washington State Cougars. (laughs) Taking on Mario Cristobal's new home, Miami Hurricanes. I assume Manny Diaz is not going to That was my noise for a hurricane. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's good. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I don't think Manny Diaz is coaching this one. I would imagine. Are they going to do an interim or do they just have Cristobal? Think, like, no, they'd never have the new guy coming. It's in. stupid. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't do it. Uh, this is at 9 a.m. on CBS. 9.30. I got it at 9 a.m. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, El Paso, the, the Sun Bowl is always a little bit early in, in El Paso. Uh, yeah. Washington State, Miami, both teams seven and five. Miami is a two and a half point favorite. I didn't watch a single single minute of Miami football this year, but you're telling me you're giving Jaden Delora points? Give me Washington Take State. It. I'm yeah. locking that in right now. All right. I like it. Lock it up. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, Sun Bowl is always a good time. We've talked it up before, but I will say uh, very hospitable people in El Paso. They're lovely. So another game where both teams don't have their head coach from the start of the mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Like two Pac-12 bowl games where neither team has their head coach. That's the silly season uh, in full effect. Totally. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. That's pretty good. That's a, I, I mean, as far as bowl names go, like I'll take it. I mean, there's some classics like the Pool on Weed Eater Bowl. Like the, it's hard to beat those. <laughs> <laughs> but the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, pretty awesome. And then uh, the last one, uh, we have Utah Utes. Taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes. Again, what is a Buckeye? It's a type of nut, isn't it? It's a nut. And a, like, it's like a casing that has like little spikes on it. Yeah. They're not like hard spikes, so they don't really protect. Maybe it's just for mm-hmm. looks. I'm not sure. A lot of stupid names um, for teams <laughs> in the opposition <laughs> column uh, for bowl season. There's a lot uh, of ones. This is the Rose Bowl, baby. Saturday, January 1st at 2 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, I'm 5, ex- 5 p.m. I've got it at 2 p.m. Okay. What are you looking at? The Pac-12's email that they sent out. Did this thing get set to East Coast time or something? Because I got 2 p.m., baby. I don't know. All right. That's fine. It's the Rose Bowl. It's never on at 5 p.m. Okay. That's what the, the yes. I mean, that's what the Pac-12 sent out. So, Well, like, the Pac-12's li- wrong. My buddy Jim, Jim Thorby, I got to talk to him at the. He's been working with Pac 12 for a while, but he's like in a different role now. But you're calling him out by name because he's, he's nice. wrong. No, no, I don't think I, he was very nice. Okay. Well, it's on at yeah. 2 p.m. on okay. ESPN. Uh, number 11, Utah. Number six, Ohio State. A couple of 10 Oh, yeah, because it's after the. Uh, yeah, it's the, the Rose parade. Bowl. It's, it's never on at 5 p.m. I've been to a few of these. Remember, I, I went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> Do you remember going to the Rose Bowl? I don't remember going to. Rice Eccles for the first time, like, and then <laughs> no, wasn't there a Washington Rose Bowl that you also did not remember? No, I was. They were. We were talking about teams like you know. I'd love to see Washington play Ohio State. I'm like, I literally just went to that game six months ago. <laughs> I was in person, this will be fun. Uh, Utah is a six and a half point dog um, against Ohio State. Ohio State was until very uh, until the. Uh, the beating at the hands of Michigan, a uh, popular pick to win it all this year. Utah, I think, is one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Uh, I think this is going to be a ton of fun. I'm excited for it. Yeah, me too. Um, looking forward to that one. I, maybe a chance it's Kyle Whittingham's swan song? If I could, I could maybe swing going to three Pac-12 bowl games. Like, I'm flying, like, for Christmas, I'm flying back to my family back east. But I could do the Oregon State one. You do LA Bowl. I could do the Vegas one, potentially. I think I come back the day before. And the Rose Bowl, for sure. Yeah, you can do Vegas, and you can do Rose. Yeah. yeah. And then you could, you know, after Vegas, like just immediately that morning, get on a flight <laughs> to El Paso. <laughs> no. No? That's. Uh, do you ever fly to El Paso? Yeah. Yeah, it's like you're landing over, you know, uh-huh. tumbleweeds, and then all of a sudden it's like there's an airport. You're like, what? Yeah, yeah. My like one of my college girlfriends was from El Paso, so I went there for the first time. And I'm like, you land in L.A. for you know an hour of your approach, all you see is city, and then like there it was like nothing. Yeah, it was crazy. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and do some of your questions. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the podcast of Champions. Uh, We don't have a ton of questions, so we'll get through these pretty quickly. We did get something from Clean. Um, He had. I just want to put this out there on the podcast. It was a suggestion because we were talking about last week doing picks. There's something called officepoolstop.com where you can do things like that, where it's like kind of the logistical stuff. So I'm throwing that out there. So then all our listeners that can remember, Hithliday, you remember everything we say. So when it comes around next year and we're like, hey, we should do some picks. No one's ever brought that up before. Then you could say, no, remember Clean said office but then we'll stop but just an fyi then we're also going to require one of you to set it up and do it <laughs> right right well. right but at least you'll bring it up so i just i'm just throwing that out there since hitler referenced something we said five years ago um which i didn't even know we were around that long uh yeah uh we got a voicemail so why don't we play that what's good guys this is adam from tempe uh last week i called about lincoln riley but i want to call about a couple other coaches this week uh it's basically about the Oregon coaches, you know. Um, I'm just kind of curious about how to evaluate them, you know, because, like, I, I definitely think that Mario Cristobal to Miami is definitely a really good fit for sure. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out how good he is at face value because, you know, this year, you know, he's probably going to finish ranked or whatever, but, you know, a lot of people don't think their team's good at all. Uh, I know David's one of them. Ryan's probably one of them, and that's fair. Uh, you know, last year he had the most Mickey Mouse Pac-12 championship of all time. And, you know, he hasn't really competed for a title necessarily in any other years. Maybe you count 2019, but they would have been rolled by Clemson, Ohio State, or LSU that year. So I'm just kind of curious. And then with Jonathan Smith, I remember uh, I called saying that I think he's just kind of another one of these mediocre guys. But this year he did definitely, uh, you know, take a step forward, but it's still 7-5. and five. And, you know, both my teams, you know, ASU with Herm and USC with Sark, you know, were fighting these 7-5 and five guys and both ended up not going so well for them. So, uh kind of want to know, you know, how to evaluate the Oregon coaches and what you guys think of them and, and how good they are, you know, uh, just kind of like at face value, like I said, not necessarily with the fits, but who they are as coaches. So thank you, guys. Great question. Uh, with Cristobal, uh, I think he's a dominant recruiter. Um, I think he's a mediocre coach. Uh, I think they've they've certainly not overperformed their talent, and I think they would have underperformed, underperformed slightly. Jonathan Smith, um, I think it's like trend lines um, because you got to like kind of throw out the COVID year as just a lost and weird year. Um, the trend yeah. line is basically 210, 5'7, then 7 and 5. 
Um, and just eye test when you watch them play, they're one of the better coach teams in the league, especially offensively. Um, now we'll see if they're able to take the next step because right now they're seven and five. So will they be able to get to what essentially Mike Riley was able to cap out at, which is like a really good nine and three or maybe 10 wins. Um, I, I think Oregon state has some limitations, just, you know, obvious limitations from talent acquisition standpoints, but, um, the cap there has always been like, you can get to nine, 10 in a very, very odd case, 11 wins. Um, but mostly it's, you know, can you be an above average program that's mostly making bowl games? Um, and I think he's got them trending that way. I think he's got them trending towards a, you yeah. know, a solid seven or eight win average program. No, I agree. I think, uh, I mean, it's hard to compare him to like, oh, what ASU or USC is doing. I mean, that's, it, you know, it's taken a while, turn things around, but he's got, you know, he's going in the right direction. Um, you know, you joke about, well, Chip Kelly got better and stuff. I mean, you expect UCLA to be better. Like you expected them to be better quicker. Could you have seen it? You know, last year was a COVID year, so it's really hard to say, but yeah, I think, uh, I think they're going in the right direction. I agree with the Mario Cristobal stuff. Um, as far as like, he hasn't been proven that he's an elite recruiter, not necessarily an elite coach. And we'll see what kind of fit he is, uh, down in Miami. And of course we'll see who Oregon ends up getting, um, to replace him. Uh, we got. Our buddy Scott emailed in, uh, Oregon pasted, Ryan wasted. Mm. Uh, warning listeners, if you are at all considering betting real money on these two buffoons, look no further than Ryan's pick for Oregon to cover in the Pac-12 championship. Oregon, a team Utah pounded into the dirt a mere two weeks ago. He makes Dave, a man who cares less about this show than the shit he took <laughs> this morning, look like a competent analyst by comparison. You're better off flipping a coin then listen to these two pretend to not have a pathetic understanding of football. Much love uh, from Shooter McGavin. And he's got pictures of roasted ducks uh, hanging there. There wasn't a question there, but I loved the email. It was, yeah. Um, just just for... Again, so, here comes the explanation. No, no, for Shooter, like, David picked the game correctly. And if you remember two weeks ago, I picked Utah to cover against Oregon. What's, it, what's dumber? Picking it sight unseen or picking it after you literally just watched much, it 13 days ago? I showed some much, much more foresight picking Utah the first time. And I was I was playing a numbers game uh -huh. the second time. Uh-huh, yeah, there's the explanation. Trying to catch, yeah. All right, here's Kyle and Toluca Lake. Mario Cristobal is Clay Helton. Hot take incoming. Mario Cristobal is just Clay Helton with slightly better recruiting. Both of these coaches failed to develop talent, are horrific in-game, and never seem to have solid game plans for specific opponents. P.S. Look at Cristobal's Pac-12 winning percentage compared to Helton's. A lot of comparing to Helton stuff. I don't. I, I think. Look, I, I could look at it. I'm not going to because that would involve like a couple of Google searches. Yeah. This is unfair to Cristobal. Yeah, I don't think that's. I don't think that's fair. I think the Jim Mora stuff is more fair. Helton uh, fell apart recruiting at USC. Yes. He had the worst recruiting class I think USC has ever had. Yes. And he was trending towards a pretty bad class this year, too. Yes. Um, so I don't – that's not fair. Cristobal has recruited at an elite level every single season at Oregon. Um, and even as a coach on the field, I would say it wasn't exciting. It was kind of a chore to watch Oregon play offense especially. But they were better on the field, too. I mean, yeah. they were better schemed on the field. I agree. Uh, Peter – uh, from Vancouver, says, Pac-12 bowl record, gentlemen, 
Uh, this is nicer than what the other email calling yeah, yeah. us buffoons. Uh-huh. We are now gentlemen. Yeah, I like see? this better. Yeah. Uh, given all the coaching changes of the Pac-12, does it really matter this year how well Pac-12 teams do in their bowl games other than the Rose Bowl? Uh, Peter, I have a great answer for this. It never matters what the Pac-12 does in bowl <laughs> I knew games. You were going to say this, <laughs> including the Rose Bowl. Uh, the bowl games don't matter unless they are in the college football playoff. I mean, that's the unfortunate reality. Uh, they matter. I mean, like if you're trying to assess a particular coach. So yeah, I guess to your point, there's so, so a lot of these are not going to have coach evaluations attached to them. Yeah, because there's right. Yeah. But but if you're trying to evaluate, like okay, like this season in uh, in Utah football history, right? Will this be the best season of the Kyle Whittingham era? Because yeah, he had the uh, 13 and 0 season. But this team might actually qualitatively be better. I mean, we're going to determine that with like SRS and postgame. You know, if they beat Ohio State, they're probably going to leapfrog that team as the best Utah team in the Kyle Whittingham era, even with that team going undefeated because it's better class of competition. Um, So I think there's, you know, some of that. Um, But I also don't know how much else there is beyond that. Um, I think, uh, you know, whether ASU beats Wisconsin, Herm Edwards has still been a disappointment. Um, you yeah, know. I think it helps. I mean, just the perception of the conference, maybe a little momentum See, going into next I, year. I don't know about the perception of the conference stuff. I think that's more done in the non-conference play before the start of the season. Yeah, like the, the Oregon or Ohio State game was huge. The we UCLA. already know the conference was asked this year. Like, yeah. you, it's not going to change it. Like, if they if Washington State beats Miami, that's not going to change things drastically. You're like, well, maybe it's less ass, you know. Like, maybe they're not slightly quite as, as less assy. Yeah, that could be less assy. Um, you mentioned the SRS thing. I have a question. I think I emailed you a question you never answered, so I'll ask you right now. And anyone out there, I know we have some listeners that are big into this stuff. Um, I was looking at USC's SRS uh-huh. official rankings. Like, so they're. I think it was a 1957 team or something. There was a team that was awful that was like one right. and nine. Um, and then this year was also a negative SRS. Like that was a negative SRS. This one was. They had a 1945 team, I believe it was, that went to the Rose Bowl and lost. They were like seven and four. And for some reason, they're worse than this team. And I that didn't make sense to me. So 1945, when they went... Um, seven and yeah. four. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking. Hang on. They went through. I'll tell you, it was more than likely the competition they played. Like they probably played some like um, local high schools or something. Um, oh, because it was World War II. So because it was World War II. Uh, okay. So yeah, they like they lost to the San Diego Navy. Uh, <laughs> they beat the hell out of Pacific, which is a non-major. They only beat Saint Saint Mary's Preflight, which is a non-major, by twelve. Um, and they got shut out by St. Mary's, the real one, uh, 26-0. Like, it's hard to take too much from those seasons. The same way it's hard to take too much from the COVID season. Okay. And so the reason to use SRS is because it's great historically. Well, not, I won't say great historically. It just goes back because it's really easy. It's a simple rating system. It's basically essentially how much better were you than average? How okay. many points better were you than average? Um, and uh, so it's a good, like... Um, quick test case of like, okay, my impression of this team is that it's not very good. Let me go look at SRS and see where it racks, uh, stacks up historically. And more or less, it's going to pass your eye test. Like this UCLA team was clearly better than any team UCLA's had since 2015. And guess what? That holds true with SRS. Okay. USC was clearly one of the worst USC teams of all time. 
doesn't really matter if it's since 1961 or 1945 or whatever. <laughs> it clearly was. Um, yeah. And it's obvious in SRS. Um, it, it just compared, like, in 91, USC was 3-8, and eight, but they beat, like, Penn State. Yeah, it's who just— Who was, a, like, a, a ranked team. So they, they, SRS says this team's worse than that team, yeah. even though they had one more win or whatever. Right, because it's all about, like, who you played and how you beat them. Like, you okay. know, what, what level of dominance you showed. Um, it's a really simple version of, like, the advanced stats rankings, like the Bill Connolly stuff or whatever. It's a really simple version of that, but it does give you the best— and it's really easy to look at because you can see it just on the, you know, the USC football seasons page on S on a college football reference. It gives it to you all right there. You can't really do that for SP plus because first it only goes back to, I think, 2005. And yeah. second, it doesn't, it, there's no real easy way to look at it in a chart like this. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. Well, there Little you go. Explanation. All right. Uh, this one is a text message. Uh, is Oregon just trolling UCLA fans with the whole we'll take chip off your hands narrative? I'm sure you'll get to this in the episode before you read my text, but do either of you think this would be a good hire? Um, I think it could be. I, I don't think it would be a, like a good long-term hire, but I think it could be a hire that actually gets them you know, into a playoff next year. Potentially, yeah. I think he could install an offense that would actually make use of that talent better than what Mario Cristobal was doing. It's just a matter of whether Oregon would force the right defensive hire on him and whether he would accept that. Um, but there's talent in that program, and I think you know Chip Kelly... <laughs> even with all my complaints about him, he's still a really good offensive mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, Schematically, they do great. And things. I think it fits what Oregon has there right now too. Like it, it's not too dissimilar from what they were doing anyway. So um, anyway, I think uh, I think it could work in the short term. I don't think it's a great long term move, but I think if you want to try to win a title in the next three or four years, I think you could do a lot worse. Yeah. Um, and then how many 2.0 situations at the same school, same school actually work out? JR2? Nope. Bill Snyder, second time around, around, that's probably the template. Or just maybe they're hoping for some of that nearly matchless Bob Nielsen magic that led Minnesota Duluth to two Division II natties in 2008 and 2010 during his second tenure. Dream big, duckers. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is... Uh, I kind of want to... You kind of want to see some new blood, you know? Yeah. I mean, if if I'm Oregon, like, I wouldn't hire Chip Kelly. Um, but if you're going to do it anyway, I don't think it's like a hopeless move for Oregon. It's probably yeah. the best way to put it. Um, if I was Oregon, I would like swing big, see if you can go, yeah, see if you can go pull Urban Meyer or whatever. I mean, obviously you got to hold your nose to do that. Um, or whoever it is, uh, some big names, but then, um, like there's some stupid stuff that I think could actually work. I mean, I'm not going to recommend it, but like, if you wanted to go pull Scott Frost from Nebraska, Look, he had to rebuild at Nebraska, but he would inherit a lot more talent at Oregon. He knows the culture a little bit better. Like, maybe he'd work there. I don't know. Huh. He is only four or five years removed from being really good at UCF, so who knows? Um, you might have to get creative if you miss on the big names because the market's already been kind of um, disrupted. It has. Yes. All right. I think that's it. Um, yeah. So I think that was our last question, right? Yeah, that's it. Very that's cool. That's it for us. Uh, well, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the show. We'll try to maybe, you know, there's some big, you know, if there's big transfer portal news, there's there's definitely been players hitting the portal and stuff. Um, we'll we'll work on all that kind of stuff for next time. And we'll preview uh, next week. We'll preview uh, the bowl games and stuff and make our picks, the final picks of the season. So it should be good. But that's going to wrap it up for David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of champions. Hope you enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time. Bye.